Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Tuesday edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110 is the telephone number. And guys, follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen. For all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And if you follow me on X, then you would know that my next guest is coming up. And that is Hal Weatherman. Hal Weatherman is running for lieutenant governor. He's considered one of the two or three front runners to win the Republican primary and most likely go against Rachel Hunt in November. So first of all, Hal, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. And second of all, how did you wake up one day and just all of a sudden decide, you know what? I'm running for lieutenant governor. Yeah, I actually get asked that question quite often. Um... You know, some people will know that I served as chief of staff to the previous lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest. And so, you know, a job that afforded me the opportunity to travel the state extensively over a 10-year period, because I was with him for 10 years, and we did over 500,000 miles of travel in-state. So I've been to all 100 counties multiple times, even before I launched this run for lieutenant governor for me. Um uh, you know, been in and out of all the counties. And I think that's important because you have to learn the state and know the state if you want to lead a state. You know, it was specifically, it was, um, I guess, uh, right after the last election cycle, um, the day after that, my wife and I both woke up and um, had the same fault, if you will. And um, it was clear at that point that Mark Robinson was going to try to ascend up to the governorship. And we we're just talking about that, and she's like, you know, why don't you run for lieutenant governor? Why aren't, why aren't we doing this? I mean, you know the state. You've served in the office. You served with Dan Forrest. And, of course, we came up short on the governor's run, and there were so many things that were left unfinished there, you know, projects that I had hoped to accomplish with Dan, um, you know, with him in the governorship. And I can't do all of that from the office of lieutenant governor, but I can do some. And we just talked about, like, why would we let – all those years of service and the knowledge we accrued over the travel of the state um, go for nothing. And so we prayed, we're, we're believers, and so we prayed about it. Um, and then we brought our family into it. And I have three kids, all teenagers, brought them into it because it's a family commitment, as you know, if you run statewide, because um, it's a huge sacrifice for everybody. And I brought my mom and dad and a few other, you know, people that I would consider, you know, just kind of spiritual mentors. Uh, to us to pray about it, and just all of us had a very strong sense of peace that this is what we were to do, and uh, in very short order, um, we hit the road, and really no fanfare, no major announcement. We just, I think we were the first candidate in the field and started traveling the state, and since then, I've gone to all 100 counties. Um, I, I believe I'm the only candidate that's done that. I don't know. But we've gone to all 100 counties. We've gone to 35 counties five times or more. Um, so, I mean, we've, you know, my style of campaigning is extensive travel and, and take the race to the people. I'm very aware that, you know, the governor's race, you know, might be a $44 million plus dollar race. A lieutenant governor's race is much less than that. Same territory, same people, same everything. But you have to take the race to the people because, you know, they might be focused on the governors, but, uh, you know, you kind of have to bring the lieutenant governor into their focus. And so um, I enjoy it. And I'm not going to lie to you. I, I enjoy traveling the state 
Um, I love it. I love this. I was born in the state. I, I've I've loved traveling it with Dan Forrest. I love traveling it, you know, myself uh, because it affords me the ability to meet with our greatest asset, which are our people. And, you know, when you're a candidate, you get to meet the janitor all the way up to the CEO and everywhere in between. And everybody has a story, and I love hearing their stories, and um, good or bad. I like to, you know, have ears to hear and eyes to see what people are saying to me because that's how you learn the state. And, um, you know, I want to help lead the state. And um, so anyway, it's been good training for me. I'm talking with Hal Weatherman, who's running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side, and he's considered one of the top front runners to win the primary on March 5th. So, Hal, tell me and the listeners why lieutenant governor is important. So, I mean, you know, the lieutenant governor is the president of the state senate, also serves on the state board of education, also serves on the state board of community colleges, serves as president of the Energy Policy Council, which is a little-known body but very influential in terms of crafting energy policy for the state. But, you know, I hate to, to say the elephant in the room, but the elephant in the room is you always have to remember when you're electing a lieutenant governor, you are electing a governor in waiting. And I don't mean from an ambitious standpoint that in some future election, five times in our state history, the governor has either died, been removed, or otherwise incapacitated. And we have, a, you know, an automatic secession plan here in North Carolina that the lieutenant governor automatically assume, assumes the governorship. And so you have to think about that. You know, does this person have the wisdom, the experience, uh, the knowledge of the state um, and the workings of the state government to step in? God forbid something like that would happen. Could he be the commander in chief? Uh, of our guard, both air and ground, National Guard. Uh, can he commute sentences, pardon sentences? Can he preside over 98,000 plus state employees? Can he have virtual unilateral uh, authority and control over the state property? Uh, because the governor has that with some checks and balances. Can he serve on the Council of State, serve as, as a check and balance um, on the existing governor? You know, it's all these things. So um, I think it's very important. But what attracts me to the Office of Lieutenant Governor are the board positions on the State Board of Education and State Board of Community Colleges. Um, you know, I, I preach a message of self-sufficiency all over the state. I feel called to run this race. I feel called to deliver a message that's on my heart, which is I want to prepare our people um, to stand alone in a dangerous world, and I want to prepare our state to be self-sufficient and dependent um, on no one but itself. Um, to face the challenges that are ahead. And, you know, when I talk about self-sufficiency for man, uh, and when I mean man, I always mean mankind. I mean it in the biblical context, man and woman. See, I think God put man on this earth to work. That's what I believe. Um, that's where a man gets his dignity from when he works. That's where self-respect comes from. That's where we teach ourselves self-sufficiency. And it's where we train the next generation what's expected of them in adulthood by watching mom and dad work. And I was really upset during COVID um, when Governor Cooper stood behind a podium day in and day out and labeled half of his population here in North Carolina as, quote, essential workers, and the other half as non-essential workers. And I thought that was a disgusting statement. You know, I, I believe that if that job puts food on the table, if that job puts clothing on your kid's back, if it puts shelter over your family's head, I promise you that job is essential to you. And so what I, you know, I want to restore the basic concept of the dignity of work because I think we've lost it as a society. And when I say that, I want to remove the stigma. I want, when I'm on the State Board of Education, State Board of Community Colleges, I want to use those two positions to remove the stigma our society has put on men and women who work with their hands. I want to drive people into the trades. I tell young people all the time that come to me, what should I do with my life? 
And I'll say, do you want to be an entrepreneur and own your own business? Yes. Do you want to make six figures a year? Well, yeah. Would you like to build a business that you could build and sell 10 to 15 years from now for seven figures and retire? Yes. I'm like, go be a plumber. Go into HVAC. Go be a commercial welder. Go be an electrician. So, see, I want to drive people into the trades and restore the basic concept of the dignity of work. And there's specific things I can do from those two positions. I want to create a two-and-two degree. I want to work with the General Assembly. I want to work with the community college system and um, the UNC system of schools to where kids that are going to go to college uh, create a new degree program where they can go the first two years to a trade school, uh, get certified, get a degree in one of the trades, and then transfer over to the four-year university system and complete their studies in graphic design, marketing, budget, finance, business. So they have all the tools to be an entrepreneur and own their own business, coupled with a skill set, the trades, that's going to make them profitable and self-sufficient the rest of their lives. And, you know, I say this all over the state, and it really bothers me. We can no longer, as a society, continue sending generation after generation of young kids into a four-year degree system where they're coming out with degrees in Egyptian poetry, $100,000 in debt, and they can't find a job. All the while, there are hundreds of thousands of positions available in the trades as our trade men and women are retiring, dying, uh, and they're not being replaced. And so um, I hope that makes sense. I'm preaching a message of self-sufficiency. I want our people to be self-sufficient and take pride in their work. And um, and so I think the board positions of lieutenant governor are highly relevant to doing that. I'd like to insert myself in the apprenticeship program here in North Carolina, which is currently residing in the community college system. I don't want to bash our apprenticeship program, uh, but it's clung in comparison to other states, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, it's clunky. It's not over-publicized. It's not well-publicized. It's not over-utilized. I don't believe we use our tax incentive structure uh, to incentivize companies to create it, um, and we need that. We need to create a permanent pipeline, permanent, uh, across all industries of uh, reoccurring talent. I hear all the time from employers all over the state that they can't find the skilled labor that they need uh, in the skilled work. And, uh, and so I want to insert myself in the apprenticeship program, help retool it, and make it more user-friendly, more well-known, more publicized, and incentivize it properly so more companies participate. So it's things like that that I can do from the office of lieutenant governor, and I'm excited about it. When we return, I'll continue my interview with Hal Weatherman, who's running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side. Early voting is already underway. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen on this Tuesday night. As I continue my interview with Lieutenant Governor Candidate Hal Weatherman, he's considered one of the top two or three frontrunners to win the primary, which is on March 5th. Early voting is already underway. So, Hal, most Republicans have the same core belief system, including the candidates. Is there anything that separates you from the other candidates, maybe other than your background, when it comes to policies? Or are they all pretty much the same and the backgrounds are different? It's a good question. There's going to be a lot of similarities. You know, I've 
I've gotten to know all the candidates that I'm that are running that we're all running against one another right now, and we treat each other with civility and respect. And we've done multiple candidate forums, and I think most of them, their hearts are in the right place, and and they have many similar views. Uh, there are multiple ones of us, you know, me included. I consider myself a limited government constitutional conservative. I think there are several people that meet that bill. I do think you have to, if you're a voter and you're trying to educate yourself on what differentiates, you know, policy would be one. Uh, the other would be what is the role of the office? There are several people in, in my race that think the job is more of a liaison position, a liaison between um, the governor, um, executive branch, and the General Assembly. I reject that. I, I think it could be so much more than that. I'm not running to, to be the errand boy between the governor and the General Assembly or back and forth. Uh, don't get me wrong. I absolutely will work with both sides in all of that. But I want to use the position itself and the limited duties it has, but it still has duties. Uh, like I said, the two board appointments. And I want to use it to its fullest and drive an agenda that I believe that I'm out there selling right now to the people. I'm being very open about it. If you elect me, here are the things I'm going to lift up and I'm going to, I'm going to champion. And that's regardless of who is in the governor's mansion. Uh, or who's in control of the General Assembly. I think that would be part of it. The other one would be my work ethic. Um, you know, I got into this race. I, I always think about in political races, always assume somebody will get in the race with more money. I always assume somebody will get in the, in the race with more name ID. But nobody will get in the race that will outwork me. That, that's something I can control and my small campaign team can control. And so, you know, any campaign I've ever been involved with, we set a pace. And it's a brutal pace. And like I said, the travel is just part of it. And the travel's not a PR stunt. I take very seriously that that if I have the honor and the privilege to be lieutenant governor, I need to hit the ground running. There'll be no on-the-job training for me, and that would be different from some of the other candidates. I know the Senate. I worked, you know, I was the chief of staff for the president of the Senate for the last lieutenant governor. So I know the ins and outs of the Senate. I know ins and outs of the General Assembly. I know the ins and outs of the executive branch, both under a Democrat governor and a Republican governor. And I know the parameters of the office of lieutenant governor. And um, and I know the state. Um, again, I go back to I really feel strongly that you have to know the state if you want to lead the state. You have to know the strengths of the state. You have to know the weaknesses of the state. You have to know the strengths so you can play to them, and you have to know the weaknesses so you can mitigate them. But I think we live in a dangerous world. I really do. You know, I'm, I'm seeing trains derail around the country in strategic locations, carrying strategic materials that, uh, in effect, weaponizes the train. I'm seeing rolling blackouts in the great state of North Carolina, which we've never seen before. I'm seeing electrical substations be attacked in the center part of our state, and they're attacking the parts we don't have replacement parts for. I'm seeing China come into our uh, state and buy our sovereign farmland, which I'm smart enough to know is their effort to manipulate our food supply. And that day that China flew the spy balloon over the great state of North Carolina, it flew over every one of our military installations. It flew over all of our critical resources, all of our nuclear power plants. And we as a people had to sit back impotently and do nothing. And that's when you know your state is not preparing. We're not preparing for the day of reckoning that's coming upon this country. I don't know what that will be. I don't know if it will be a financial meltdown uh, of epic proportions. I don't know if it will be COVID on steroids. I mean, think about COVID. It had a 98.8% survival rate, and how many civil liberties did we give up for something with a 98.8% survival rate? What if COVID comes back and it takes one out of every 10 lives? Could you imagine the civil liberties that we will sacrifice? I can. Or what if, you know, if your listeners uh, on here are believers, I'm a believer, um, 
what if, as believers, we start feeling like we move from a society where we feel persecuted for our beliefs to where we're actually prosecuted for our beliefs? And there's a difference between those two words. And I think the birth pangs of that are all around us right now. My point is, whatever it is, whatever the future holds for this country, I don't believe the salvation of of this country to turn things around is going to come from D.C. I actually believe it's going to come from the states. And when that day of reckoning comes, you better hope and pray that you have a limited government, constitutional, conservative governor and lieutenant governor to stand in the gap for you, to protect your civil liberties, um, and to know the state and, and to prepare the state. And I don't see us preparing. Uh, I, I look at the coll- complete collapse of our southern border, U.S. border, and the people coming across the border, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, from countries that wish us ill. And you can take to the bank that the next governor of this state and every state in the union is going to encounter homegrown jihadi-based terrorism on our soil. We will. We absolutely will. And if we're not even thinking about these things and preparing about these things, to whom are we going to give our trust? To the same federal administration, the Biden administration, that allowed China to fly a spy balloon over all of our resources? I'm not. And I think there are millions of people around the state that are looking for leadership to prepare for the uncertain future uh, that faces our country. And so, you know, I know that's a that's a mouthful, but that's kind of, you know, some differences of, between me and perhaps some of my other opponents of, of the issues that we lift up, the role of the office itself, the work ethic we take into it, and the experience level. I think my experience, you know, my entire career – um, your li- some of your listeners know not only was I Dan Force's chief of staff, but I was Charlotte. You know, I, I used to live in Charlotte. I was Sue Myrick when she was in Congress. I was her chief of staff for most of her 18 years that she was in Congress. And, um, you know, I share that because my entire political career, I've never been elected uh, myself, has been the number two guy. Chief of staff the number two guy. And, you know, I'm running in my own right now, and I'm fully aware that if I win, if I'm successful, if the people have me, I will find myself in the number two role again, number two to the governor. We don't run as a ticket, um, but I think my 30 years of experience, state and federal, um, will be invaluable to the incoming governor of the state. I think they will be invaluable uh, to him. And uh, and so I want to serve the people that elect me if I'm elected, but I also want to faithfully serve the governor as well, um, you know, so that we can lift up the state and prepare for the challenges that I believe are coming our way. So last question here with Hal Weatherman, who's running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to discuss? And if everything was covered, is there a final statement that you'd like to make? Uh, no, I'm fine with all everything. Thank one. Thank you for the opportunity. Um to get the word out uh, about my campaign and other candidates running for office. It's a huge help to us. You know, it would be my honor. It would be my honor and my privilege um, to serve the people of North Carolina. Um, I truly love the state. I was born in the state. I've loved it. I have spent the last 10 years of my life traveling it and learning it. And um, whether that was by design, by God's providence, to put me in that position so that I could intimately learn the state, um, or by chance, um, I believe you have to know the state and know it intimately. You know, I believe the Bible to be true, and the Bible is very clear. It says that a people without a vision, they perish. 
And my question to, the, to your listeners is, what's the current vision of North Carolina? I'll even go one step further. What's the current vision of America? And if you can't answer that and the Bible be true, then we as a people are currently in a state of perishment right now. I, I'm running for lieutenant governor uh, with 30 years of experience and of traveling the state and knowing it. And I want to put myself forward to help the next governor of this state paint a vision for this state and prepare us for what I believe could be dangerous days ahead in our country. And um, and I hope the people um, will consider me. They can learn more about me at howweatherman.com. I'm on all social social media platforms. Uh, or they can come out and hear me. I, I post every week teasers of where I'm going to be. I'll be in Wilson County tonight uh, speaking. Um, I'll be in uh, Alamance County uh, later this week speaking. I'll be all over the state on Saturday speaking. Um, come out and talk with me. I'm interviewing for the job. That's what I tell people. My travel around the state is me interviewing for the job. I'm very aware if I win this position. You don't work for me. I work for you. And so I'm interviewing for the job, trying to meet you, trying to shake your hand. All my speeches are unfiltered. None of them are scripted. I take Q&A to every one of them. I got I get asked everything, <laughs> good questions to bad, and um, and I love it because I want to represent the people. And the only thing I'll, I'll simply say is this. I really do want my campaign to be different. I am trying to reconnect with people. I think it's what we've missed in politics. In, a, in, a, in an age of consultant-driven politics, which is based on 30-second, let's be honest, attack ads, ripping people to shreds, I'm trying to say let's reject that. Let's reconnect with people by traveling the state, meet with them unfiltered, uh, talk with them, and um, – and I hope I'm making sense. I just, you know, it'd be my honor to serve the people if they'll have me. And I make no promises other than I will not let them down if they give me that opportunity. Hal Weatherman running for lieutenant governor. I really appreciate you joining me tonight. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. When we return, my exclusive interview with Riley Gaines. But right now, let's swing on over to the WBT newsroom with Anna Erickson. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen on this Tuesday night. Hope you guys follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen, because if you do, then you would know not only were we going to have Hal Weatherman on, but we're also going to have Riley Gaines on. So Riley Gaines was in UNC Charlotte today speaking, um, where she's doing her campus tour. Like she's actually in the University of South Carolina, I believe, tomorrow. And then a couple of days after that, she's at Clemson. And she goes all over the place speaking to – she was at Notre Dame, I believe, last week. She goes all over the country speaking on college campuses about not wanting or how it's wrong to have men competing against women, males competing against females in younger sports. Like there's a famous, there's a very famous thing that happened on February 8th, okay? But it just hit the news yesterday. Happened on February 8th. It took two weeks for it to hit the news. A high school boy playing girls basketball in Massachusetts hurt three girls in the middle of a game, and the coach quit and forfeited the game at halftime. 
you've already hurt three of my girls in the first half. We're done. And that was the end of that. But, you know, just remember, boys aren't bigger, stronger, faster. You know, they're not bigger, stronger, faster, are they? No, not at all. So anyways, so I I had a chance to talk with Riley Gaines last night, or excuse me, yesterday afternoon, pretty extensively. And this is how the interview went with Riley. Considering everything that happened while you were a guest speaker at San Francisco State University, where you were spit on, hit, physically assaulted, and actually held for ransom, why do you continue to go to college campuses around the country? Honestly, what happened at San Francisco State University, of course it was unfortunate, and it's something that no one, especially a young woman who's merely advocating for fair play and privacy in areas of undressing, it's something that should have never had to happen, but honestly, it really propagated me forward because it showed me how desperate the opposition is to keeping us quiet. And honestly, when when they want you quiet, when they're when they're that willing um, to shoot the arrows your way, it shows you you're right over right over the target, and they don't waste ammunition. Um, so where, where I think a lot of people would have been silenced in that scenario, it really only encouraged me to speak louder. Um, and it's just important to engage the youth. That's ultimately what this battle is about. It is our future that we are defending. So it's us who needs to fight for it. How do you pick and choose which universities and colleges you're going to speak at? And how did you pick the University of North Carolina at Charlotte? Uh, a couple reasons. I, I am strategic in about the universities that I choose. And so uh, just this week I was at Notre Dame where uh, their sister school, St. Mary's, uh, an all-female Catholic institution, began to admit boys who, who said they were women into their all-female university. So I strategically went to Notre Dame. I had a bunch of the alumni there and support who were fed up with what the university is doing to send a message loud and clear that enough is enough, and we're saying no. Um, but strategically, I chose North Carolina because I had tons of friends who swam for UNC and NC State, girls who lost out on opportunities because of this male. One girl from NC State, actually, who is a 31-time All-American. She is a phenom. She is honestly uh, for so long was a role model for me. I'll never forget, she came up to me at that national championship, and she told me, Riley, guess what? She sounded so excited. She was like, I just found a janitor's locker or a janitor's closet to undress in, undress in. I'm so grateful for this janitor's closet, she said. And it hit me in that moment. Oh, my gosh, did, did she just say she was grateful to undress in the janitor's closet? Under the guise of progress, Oh, my gosh, make no mistake, this movement is incredibly regressive. So, I, I'm, And not to mention the fact that Governor Cooper of North Carolina, uh, he vetoed their women's sports bill earlier last year, uh, which was able to be overridden by a majority vote in both the House and the Senate, which I'm grateful for the leadership um, in the state of North Carolina. Representative Balcom, uh, who carried and sponsored the bill, and, of course, a lot more leaders in North Carolina to thank for the success there. Do you find yourself wanting to go to colleges and universities that are considered to be way more liberal, maybe like the University of North Carolina or Duke University, as opposed to something like maybe Wake Forest? Do you find yourself wanting to go to those type of schools instead? You know, I I definitely try and go all over, but I do think it's important to go to those liberal institutions because, believe it or not, a ton of people at these schools who are on our side. One, because there are a plethora of conservative students who are honestly just scared to say they're conservative. But secondly, this issue extends beyond party lines. Uh, I have met so many Democrats 
uh, people who would actually call themselves lifelong Democrats, who are appalled by this attack, this war on women, uh, the overall erasure of what a woman even is. So what I've found, even at these incredibly liberal schools such as Harvard or Princeton or, or, or you name it, these students are desperate to hear the truth, and they are being denied it at every academic institution, but especially the ones that would consider themselves prestigious, <laughs> um, which I use that word lightly, certainly. So they're desperate to hear it, and I am I'm desperate to tell it. When you show up to these campuses to speak, how much protesting do you actually get against you? It is everywhere. It is at even Christian universities. I mean, so the minority here, which is what they are, they're a very loud fringe minority, but it exists, and they're not scared to share their point of view. So they show up, which is why it's crucial that the silent majority finds our voice. For so long, we have been... Honestly, I think we've become complacent to a degree. I think we had our heads down. We're focused on ourselves, our families, our, our job, our personal relationships. In the instance of athletes, we're focused on our team and our own performance. You know, we don't, we weren't concerned about what's going on outside of um, really our own personal endeavors until we're directly impacted. But I think we're waking up, and I think it's due time we find our voice to combat, again, the very loud voice that the, the opposition has. When you speak at these universities, What's the type of crowd that is there to see you? It's super cool because, of course, there's a lot of students, but there's also a lot of people from the community. Um, again, people who, who just want to hear the message, want to know what they can do to help, to help further the cause. So it's been an amazing reception. As I said, there's protests everywhere, but the support that I've received is tenfold anything negative. I speak with Riley Gaines, the director of the Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute and is the sponsor of her Speak Loudest Campus Tour, where she goes all over the country speaking at various universities and colleges to inform and enlighten the students there as well as any of the public that wants to attend. Your national speaking tour at universities is completely free. Why don't you charge for this? Because honestly, you could actually make a lot of money charging. It's not about the money for me. I have no... There's no ladder that I want to climb. Uh, I don't want a career in politics. I don't want a career in the media. That I, I mean, you have to be crazy to want those things. <laughs> so it's just not of interest to me. I am, um, and really, this has just become a a passion of mine, uh, and for a variety of reasons. But you know, most importantly, I think about my little sister who is 15. She's an incredible gymnast. She will go on to play or to compete at the collegiate level. You know, that's who we're fighting for. It is the next generation. That's who we're fighting to protect. So, again, it's not about me. It's not about any sort of personal advancement on my behalf. I speak with Riley Gaines, the director of the Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute and is the sponsor of her Speak Loudest Campus Tour, where she goes all over the country speaking at various universities and colleges to inform and enlighten the students there as well as any of the public that wants to attend. I know you've only been doing this for less than two years, and I'm just curious, as you go along to these different campuses and different states and different communities, are you seeing any changes at all, even if they're small and very incremental, but are you seeing any change in the way people think about this particular topic? Definitely, slowly but surely. I, I believe, like I said, people are waking up. I think parents, of course, are waking up. I think the medical professionals are waking up. I think people in corporate America uh, church and spiritual leaders, I think in academia, 
people are starting to see the harmful effects, unfortunately because they continue to happen, uh, we are seeing the harmful effects of what this movement really is, uh, which is sad. You know, it, it takes unfortunate circumstances to ultimately make change, but we are seeing some change. Specific sport governing bodies are, are taking appropriate stands. The NCAA, in true cowardly fashion, they're, they're retracting, kind of, right? They, they just really want no hands on deck. They don't want to deal with it at all. They don't want to be responsible or held accountable. And so they're in a phase-out approach, leaving it up to other people to make the decision. But it's because they know this is wrong. So, again, I, I believe it's only in due time we will see these changes be made. But if, if we don't find our voice, we will not expedite this process. I speak with Riley Gaines, the director of the Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute and is the sponsor of her Speak Loudest Campus Tour, where she goes all over the country speaking at various universities and colleges to inform and enlighten the students there as well as any of the public that wants to attend. You've spent a lot of time over the last year and a half or so speaking at various events in Charlotte and at various places, including the politicians in Raleigh. Is there something about North Carolina that's important to you? On top of, of course, the unfair competition and the locker room aspect that make this issue what I would say blatantly obvious as, as to the fact that it's wrong, you also have the safety concern in sports. Uh, what about North Carolina's own Peyton McNabb, who, high school senior, playing volleyball, a boy on the opposing team, uh, posing as a girl, jumps up, spikes the ball, comes back, hits Peyton in the face, knocked unconscious, of course, Still to this day, this happened in September of 2022, still to this day, uh, a year and eight-ish months later, she's partially paralyzed on her right side. She has to have special accommodations for testing at school because she can't retain information like she once could. Her vision is impaired. Her memory is impaired. She's not playing college sports like she was supposed to, all because of this brain injury that was ensued to her by a man. Um, a man who received a scholarship to play college uh, volleyball on a women's team. That's what this is about, right? We often forget that piece. I often forget this piece. Being a swimmer, you know, we didn't have to worry about our, about physical contact or safety or injury in our sport because of a man. But in other sports like volleyball, like softball, any sport where you're colliding with one another, throwing something at one another, the force and the power and the speed that a male exerts is is tenfold that of a woman. Riley, I really do appreciate you joining me. I know you're always on a tight schedule, and people all over the country want a piece of you and interview and talk to you, so I can't thank you enough for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? No, I'm, I'm happy to do it, and I'm very grateful for you, so thank you. So that's Riley, At WB. Riley and again, just, um, just an outstanding woman. So I, I did go to UNC Charlotte today. She spoke at 4 o'clock. Um, to a group there, and when we come back, I'll tell you all about how many protesters were out there because, Riley, you heard in the interview, she gets a lot of protesters, so I'll talk about that when we return and paint the scene for you and then give you a Maggie update. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. I am Brett Jensen. We're going up until 8 o'clock. So I was at the Rally Gaines uh, speaking engagement 
earlier today, and or I, yeah, it started at four o'clock, and I was there till about five thirty, five forty-five ish or so. And you know, you heard me ask her. She said that hey, she gets protested all the time, and she's expecting big protests, you know, at the University of South Carolina, but maybe not so much at Clemson University. And there was zero point zero protesters outside today. And I told Riley yesterday, I said, I'm not sure you're going to get any protesters at UNC Charlotte. I said, it's not a liberal arts college like the University of North Carolina or Duke, where God knows what you would get if you showed up there. I said, but I said, I said, it's a math, science, computer science, architecture type school. I said, and, and I mean this in the, the politest of ways. I don't mean this as a slight. I said, you just got a bunch of math nerds and math geeks. So I said, it's not a liberal arts school. So you may not get the protesters. And sure enough, not a single protester showed up at UNC Charlotte. And the crowd was small. It wasn't like the 600 and 900 that she's had previous. It was probably about, I did a head count at one point, and it was like 55 or 60 people that were there to see her speak. But she doesn't care if it's 650 or 65. She's there and she's going to, like take your questions and and give her presentation and let you know what she thinks about the entire situation of men competing against women in sports by just simply saying, I identify as a man. Okay. Okay. If you say so. So anyway, so she was outstanding as usual, super nice, super kind as usual. And I mean, I just, I really appreciate her as a person. And she's just genuinely nice and she's extremely smart. That's why she was an all SEC academic. Um, so she's all SEC in athletics and she was all SEC in academics. That's pretty strong. That's really, really strong. So again, it was great seeing her again. I, I saw her, what, six weeks ago? It's good seeing her again, good talking to her again yesterday and again today. So. Um, it was, but it was a really good event at UNCC, UNC Charlotte. I know they get upset if you say UNCC. So anyways, um, let me give you a Maggie update. So two weeks ago, I was on this very air, or a week, a week and a half ago, I was on the, these very airways saying that I had things were, had gotten so bad with mags that I started looking at companies that would come to your house to do the deed of putting her to sleep. Like things had just got so bad with volcanic explosive diarrhea and losing weight, dropping weight like like crazy, couldn't could barely walk. And I think I told you last week, oh, guess what? It's because she's allergic to her milk bones. And her milk bones was basically her only dinner because you know, you guys know that I've been struggling to get her to eat since last June. So her milk bones, which have a lot of calories, were her primary source of food. Well, it was causing her just to feel like crap. So I just randomly took her off the milk bones and started giving her other treats. She literally only eats treats for dinner, but they're sweet potato treats and they're pumpkin treats and there's some beef chewy treats and there's a lot of protein and flaxseed and, uh, you know, and lamb and duck and stuff like that. So... The only 
problem is half of the treats have salt in them. Not a lot, but they have salt in them. And like salt's not good for her kidneys, but you know what's worse? Not eating. So ever since then, Maggie's gained three and a half pounds. She's bouncy. She's energetic. Everything's good. Um, you'd never know that she was about to be 15 years old in a couple of months. And I just have to go sometime. I think this week I'm going to try and get her in on Thursday, maybe Friday, to get her blood work done to see where we are because it's been a month and see if things are continuing to, like, to go really, really bad downhill fast or if there's like sort of plateauing a little bit with the kidney disease and, you know, is it semi-stable? Like it's always going to get worse. There's nothing you can do about it. But the the whole key is to try and slow it down. The only thing that's worrying me a little bit is she is drinking water like crazy, like, like crazy, crazy, like over the last two weeks. And I'm thinking it's got something to do with her treats. I'm not sure. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, um, when I go to the vet. And it's only been, like I said, over the last two weeks when we switched and she's having normal normal um, incidents when she has to go out in the yard. Normal bathroom incidents. Everything's back to normal, and she's healthy and happy and everything else. So she's drinking a lot of water. But anyways, but we'll, we'll see what goes on. We'll get the blood work done later in the week, and hopefully everything will be all right. All right, so tomorrow i got a special show. District 42, this North Carolina State Senate seat. It's the only Republican primary in all of Mecklenburg County. And it's a doozy. And it's Jamie Daniel versus Stacey McGinn. Well, I sat down with both of them, and you're going to hear their interviews tomorrow night. So I'm telling you, stay tuned, because that is, like, right in the heart of Charlotte and the South Charlotte, like Sharon Road, that whole area. So make sure you stick around for that tomorrow. All right, everyone. So until tomorrow night with my special interviews of those two candidates, I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. WBT Charlotte, WBT-FM Chester, WLNKHD2 Charlotte, News Talk 1110, 99.3, WBT. Good evening, I'm Anna Eric.